Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini. And today, I, Amy Anger. And today, I'm joined by Coach Brittany Gable. Brittany, hello. Welcome. Hello. So today, we're going to talk about a little bit of research that was recently, I feel like, kind of a landmark study that came out on ketogenic dieting and versus a Western diet, which there has been a lot of research on that topic, but not specifically in bodybuilding. So I think that it's pretty cool that um, in Italy, there were bodybuilders that, that were natural bodybuilders. That caveat has to be, that's very important um, because the performance enhancement could uh, you know, maybe dictate the growth of muscle and um, loss of fat. So these were natural bodybuilders and they had, you know, two separate groups. One was following a ketogenic diet and then one was um, following your regular, like high um, moderates amounts of um, carbohydrates and both had like equal protein um, to support muscle. So the measurements or I guess percentages of the ketogenic diet in this case was, um, normally they're about 5% carbs, um, 70% fat, and then 25% protein. So this one was a little bit different than a, than a clinical, I guess you would say ketogenic diet. So a clinical ketogenic diet is like 80 to 90% fat and it's very small amount of protein which I'm sure bodybuilders would not agree to that study if that were the case. Um, so yeah, do you want to kind of go over some of the groups where clinical application with that very strict, like low protein diet, who that would be more for? Yeah. So the clinical type ketogenic diet with the 90% fat, very little protein um, is going to be for people that have epilepsy, type 2 diabetes, and just people that are very obese. And um, there's just little research on these ketogenic diets being within the context of sports nutrition and bodybuilding, mostly because the protein is just so very little that it just wouldn't work out with trying to gain muscle. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about because we recently have talked about a lot of different like insulin resets and like semaglutide and high fat diets, low carb. So I just want to differentiate that that is not the same thing. Uh, a ketogenic diet, you are really producing, you're going into a state of ketosis. And so you're actually producing ketones and you're, you know, in a fat burning state in this diet because you're, um, you're not consuming enough carbs in your diet so that your body is going to burn them for energy. So you'll have extra ketones kind of floating around in that regard. Um, I have personally tried the ketogenic diet and I got so sick. I got very ill. So for me, my gallbladder started getting way too taxed with that many fats and I would get so sick. And I know that there is a ketogenic flu and it could be possible that I maybe had that as I was transitioning, but I just, it felt not right. And my mom has had her gallbladder taken out. So for me, like, I just didn't feel like it was the best choice. And plus I typically, you know, I have high cholesterol, so it's hard to get your, your fats all being monosaturated without having carbs 
but that's my personal take on the ketogenic. I don't know if you, have you ever tried the ketogenic diet? No, I've really only done like an insulin reset where, um, I've never really gone low protein like that (laughs) before. So I don't think I necessarily would ever want to just because of that. And I do have problems with my cholesterol as well. So, um, it wouldn't be beneficial for me. Yeah. And another thing that I didn't like about it is I don't like needles. I don't like actually having to prick myself. I don't like somebody else pricking me. And I had to use the testing strips to see if I was in ketosis and I could not get that lance to, you know, prick my finger and get enough blood on the strip. And that was really annoying. Uh, And if that was like part of the lifestyle, which that person that coached me through it, he was like, basically you have to always be testing to see if you're in ketosis. And, um, because otherwise you will have no idea. Some people can switch over into ketosis with like a higher amount of carbs and have a higher threshold. And then some have to just be, you know, so low um, that they almost can't even have vegetables. I remember the only vegetable I could have was spinach because it was so low in carbs. And then I had to like pour olive oil on it. It was just so gross. It just wasn't sustainable for me, but I could see the benefits. Obviously it's helped a lot of people with seizures um, and preventing those and cancer patients and things like that. So let's talk about what the liver does to get you into ketosis. Do you want to take that part? Yeah. So, um, the process that it takes in the liver is where the fats are turned into ketones. Um, so the ketones are fatty, fatty acid released from the liver that go into your bloodstream. And then they're used as fuel to drive your body's metabolism to support muscle function. Um, so when the levels get high enough, that means we're in the state of ketosis. So the reason being why we have to have such high fat, low carb, low protein to keep that high enough to stay in ketosis. Yeah. Cause your body's really smart. So it will start transitioning. It will take protein and it, it, it's too smart to know that it needs glucose uh, to survive. Um, so it will start converting, um, the protein into glucose, um, some other subjective signs that you might have keto or that you're in ketosis, um, without doing the testing strips is like, um, keto breath. (laughs) So bad breath. Um, you really feel good energy. That's one thing that's like, you can go for long bouts without people that intermittent fast, they've if they're in a ketogenic or like in ketosis, um, in a ketogenic state, they can go long amounts of times without getting hungry. Um, You get really sustained energy. I know some people do it for marathons just because Mm -hmm. they're running for so long that they rely on the ketones instead of like carbohydrates for fuel and it can help them do that. But you'll also know just like, great thirst. Um, but yeah, the, the best way to do it is to accurately measure the ketones. And, uh, do you want to talk about the typical one that they measure and then the three types that there are? Yeah. So the typical one we measure is the B hydroxyl take <laughs> ketone levels. I can't say that. Hydroxybutyrate. <laughs> yeah. And then there's three of them though. So that one, acetone and acid, 
to tape. <laughs> Horrible at those long names. Um, so when a person is in nutritional ketosis, um, they'll also have those blood levels at the 0.5 to 3 millimoles per liter. Gosh, I can't talk today. <laughs> um, so that is what we would measure with. And then um, there's also just no uh, research investigating that these effects of the ketone diets in fit people. Um, so being able to test that all the time is going to help, you know, like when you're in ketosis as well. So, yeah. So speaking of no, um, research, there is one research that we're going to talk about today. So this one took 19 bodybuilders, um, from Italy and they were from ages 20 to 40 and they had at least five years of resistance training experience and they were all competing in the same category of open bodybuilding and none of them were taking anabolic steroids like I was talking about before. So do you want to kind of talk about what the groups were and what they did and how long? Yeah. So they split the bodybuilders into two groups and they instructed them either a ketogenic diet, a normal diet, Western diet for eight weeks. Um, so before and after the diet changes, um, they made sure to see what their body compositions were. They assessed that they tested their maximum strength and bench and back squat. Um, they figured out an overview of the study. The only difference in the diets were the amount of carbs and fats that the subjects were consuming. So, um, one group had really low carb, really high fat, meaning they're the ketogenic diet group. And then the other group had a moderately high carb, low fat um, intake, which is the normal Western diet group. Yeah. So the total calories for both groups was about the same. It was around like 3,500 and the um, protein intake was the same as well. So those were like the stable um, things that were not variables and the protein was about 25% of their total calories. And it was around 220 grams in both groups. So it was similar to like how we would, um, you know, for our clients, give them one gram of protein per pound of body weight, very similar to that. So these bodybuilders were big boys at 220, um, or around that size. And then the keto group's fat intake was 70% 70 70 of their diet. So because it was an optimum protein diet, it was still ketogenic considered in this study. They all did blood tests and they all passed. Otherwise, they would have been pulled out of the study. So that was kind of cool. But um, yeah, they stayed at 70%. So, I mean, it's mind-blowing how guys that big – you know, consume 264 grams of fat. Like that's just unbelievable <laughs> when you know that much. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh. And their carbs were 5%. So they were only eating 44 grams of carbs, which I can't imagine eating that many, that low of carbs. Yeah. Which both yeah. sound horrendous to me. And yeah, from a sustainability perspective, I think most clients just enjoy carbs more. Um, and I personally enjoy their volume and the density of fats. And like, especially if I'm consuming oils, like I like to chew my food and to feel satisfied by it. So 
I would much prefer to be the other group, which was the carb group. Their fat was only 20%. So like 79 grams of fat, which still is a lot for a female our age or like our age, gender, everything, um, weight and height. Uh, but yeah, carbs were 55%. So they had a lot, they had 488 grams on average there. I don't think I've ever gotten up that high. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think maybe on like a refeed day, but yeah, it's been few and far between like my max is around 350. I'll (laughs) put on body fat pretty fast, but they are, we're a lot bigger than us too. They're about double your size (laughs) or at least a hundred pounds more. Yeah. So, um, okay. So let's talk about the nutritional details. So how many, um, like in terms of like what their like kind of results were in each of these groups and what they did for some of the testing and things like that. So, So the ketogenic diet group had nine subjects to be specific. And then the normal Western diet group had eight subjects. So, um, mm-hmm. they're both isocaloric, um, their calories set at 45 calories per kilogram of muscle mass. Um, they included the same amount of protein. Like we said, um, protein intake was clearly adequate to increase the muscle mass. Both groups ingested about 2.5 grams per, uh, protein. Per kilogram of protein per kilogram. Yes. Yeah. Which is about one gram per pound. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, the resistance training, um, there is no standardized resistance training program at all. Um, they just kept to their current resistance training, which I think is good because if you're changing stuff, it could be benefiting somebody rather than, or vice versa. So Mm -hmm. keeping that at the same Um, so they prioritize their muscle, um, hypertrophy and strength. Yeah. When you're talking about hypertrophy, like the pre and post results, it's so important to stay with what you are doing because when they're pre-testing their muscle mass in pounds and then their body fat in pounds and their body fat percentage prior to this eight week study, they need to have baseline data that the like you said, there's not a new variable other than their fat intake and their carb intake. So, you know, for some people, if they were to standardize it, like some people would have way more volume, some people would have way less. And so it's important that that was also a static. So just to recap, you know, the variables that didn't change were this the type of training and the volume they were doing. And then their calories were about the same protein was about the same. And so there's where we kind of like, you know, have those two variables that um, coincide is the differences in fat and carbs for energy, which is your, your main energy source. You either have to have one or the other. So that makes sense. Um, And then as far as like how they measured, they used bioelectrical impedance and shameless plug for my other podcast that I do with Lee Marie. We just did one on body fat percentage last Thursday. So take, you know, look that up, take a listen to that because we talk about the, the limitations when it comes to bioelectrical impedance, it's very much a water type of test. And it's very, um, it relies very heavily on how hydrated you are because water is a very good conductor of electricity 
And then rubber or like fat um, is a bad conductor of electricity. So it slows down that current. And what happens when you hold onto or stand on a machine that does bioelectrical impedance, a small low level current of electricity goes through your body. Well, if it goes through really fast, you have a lot of lean tissue because there's water and muscle and then fat is a poor conductor. So it's going to slow down that current coming through your body. So variables that impact that, uh, we know that carbohydrates hold a lot of water, you know, per gram, I think it's like four ounces or something like that, or maybe four grams of carbs, one ounce of water, but either way it's carbohydrates. So we're staying a little bit more, um, you know, we're keeping a little bit more water in the muscle if we have carbs. So a lot of times like people will, I know for me, when I started the ketogenic diet, I lost like seven pounds in the first week. And majority of that was water weight because my, I didn't have enough carb intake to hold water in my muscles, which is another reason. And we'll probably get into that, but why we don't prefer this type of diet for getting on stage because your muscles aren't round and full. They're very stringy and lifeless. And so anyway, with the bioelectrical impedance, you know, even if you work out before you go test, you're sweating. So you're losing water or you drink a cup of coffee. It's a diuretic. It makes you pee more. So you have less water. And I know that like people have kind of like busted the system. If they eat like a big meal with a lot of water, it shows that they're way lower body fat than they are. So these are variables that we need to keep into consideration, especially when we're cutting a major uh, food group out of the diet. So it's good that they're doing that pre. Um, and then I think, I believe post, they also, they waited three days. So they allowed the ketogenic group to kind of like eat back their carbs so that they could have a more accurate reading, which is kind of cool. But what are, what are your thoughts? Do you have anything to add before we get to the results of what that kind of came out to? Yeah. I mean, I would say if they were testing throughout the whole process, the ketogenic people are going to seem like more body fat and, you know, because they don't have as much, no way, the difference, um, they're not going to, they're going to look like they have less body fat because they don't have as much. No, I was right. (laughs) I'm getting confused. Um, the ketogenic people would look like they're having higher body fat percentages rather than the people with carbs, because the people with carbs are going to hold so much more water, um, because they have that in their bodies. Um, so I like they did, it pre and post, and then also let the ketogenic diet people kind of bring back their carbs a little bit. Um, but I wonder if that maybe skewed it a little bit as well, because they went out of ketosis and then maybe put on body fat in a little bit of time too. Um, but yeah, it was only three days. So I don't think it was enough to like, it was probably just enough to kind of fill back in their muscles, you know, from the glycogen, but I mean, I think like from that standpoint, I don't think it, it's hard though. I think maybe they should have just used a different measurement tool. In my opinion, I think they should have used like a DEXA or something that was like scanning. So I know there's ultrasound, there's just far superior tools. So I'm really wondering why they use this one because 
they could have used even calipers. And I think it would have been a better test on what was actually their accurate body fat. But I mean, I'm also surprised that they got this many bodybuilders to follow along with these diets for eight weeks, because I know that like, for me, I don't want to veer from like what my diet is right now. And to do that for eight weeks and to get so many participants of natural bodybuilders, I think that was pretty cool. Um, Okay. So getting into the results uh, just from a body weight standpoint, so the changes there were that the ketogenic diet lost two pounds and the normal diet or Western diet group gained three pounds. So the, I mean, it looks like, you know, you gain weight by eating carbs and you lose weight by doing keto. But then we, we look into the nitty gritty on the muscle mass. Um, do you want to take that one on who gained the most muscle? Yeah. So the muscle mass increased a lot with the normal diet group, which would make sense because our bodies work off of glucose more than, uh, fats. Um, so, uh, the normal Western group gained about five pounds, 2.2 kilograms of muscle mass, while the ketogenic group, um, only gained about 1.2. So half a kilogram of muscle mass. So, um, highlights finding, you know, not only did the normal diet group gain significantly more muscle mass, um, compared to baseline, but the normal diet group gains more muscle mass compared to the ketogenic diet. So that kind of just proves to us bodybuilders that ketogenic diet is not for us. Yeah. I just feel like you can build muscle with carbs so much better, um, because of the insulin factor, that hormone insulin and the way that our bodies work in building muscle, that's an important component. Um, and then also just from a recovery and energy standpoint, I know that once you have ketones in your body, you are getting energy. You can work out. You actually have really like clear and it's like really like shot out of a cannon energy when you are in ketosis it feels like really good. My husband actually did it and he, he had so much energy that he had trouble even sleeping because he was like so wired all the time. Um, but those are just personal anecdotes. I don't know if people, if you want to comment in the, on the YouTube comments and let us know if you've done one before or what your thoughts are, um, in terms of fat loss, the ketogenic diet actually did, um, lose more fat, they lost three pounds versus the two pounds that the Western diet lost. Um, do you want to talk about the strength? So they did the squat and the bench and do you yeah. want to kind of talk about those? Um, so the study showed that there wasn't really any significant differences between the two groups with the maximal strength increases. Um, uh, during the eight week study, the ketogenic diet, um, improved on bench press, uh, by 3.1% and on the squat, they increased by 3.8%. In the normal Western group diet, um, they improved on bench by 3.6. So 0.5% more than the ketogenic diet. And then Wow. They increased a lot in the squat though, um, by mm. 6.3. So almost double yeah than the ketogenic. So I would say there yeah. is a little bit more of a difference than what the study would say, but, um, again, no, the study, fine. the study proves that they did way better on the yeah. squat. And I think this is my theory is just that when you have, um, 
like performance athletes. So for example, if you talk about like a CrossFit um, performance athlete that has to have like explosive movement and strength, and then also like a, so in bodybuilding, it's not as important to have explosion and strength, um, more hypertrophy where you're doing time under tension with the muscle. So in this example, they're kind of testing something that's really not related to like what bodybuilding's goal is, is to build pretty muscles, mm-hmm. um, you know, to put the time under tension to grow the muscle versus the power and force that it takes to lift something. So I feel like, you know, with, when it comes to like power lifters and CrossFitters, those are performance athletes. They definitely need carbs. And I think that this shows that the carbs will really, I think that's what this part of the study highlights in my personal opinion. I don't know what anybody else thinks, but I feel like it shows that carbs, especially like in your squat maxes and things like that, um, can really help you. And that doing a ketogenic diet might not be superior. It might be more, maybe, you know, this is another study that could happen is just like a performance athlete versus like an endurance athlete. So like a marathoner might benefit more from a ketogenic diet because the carbs might tail out, whereas the ketones will give them sustained energy throughout that long race. But then, you know, if you need quick bursts of movement, like for, you know, cleaning or powerlifting, like your deadlift, squat, all that in a short burst of motion. I think, you know, we know from what we know about our energy systems, you use glucose for those like quick anaerobic movements, whereas you use fat for endurance movements um, and the aerobic activity. So I think that's something, I mean, that's just like where my brain's going is kind of what the study is highlighting that, you know, certain energy systems need certain kinds of fuel. Um, I'm just kind of a nerd like that though. Cause that was like, <laughs> what I was thinking when I was, no, my mind was going there. So I was just going to say that, that they should do this study. Like, I wish they would have maybe tested, you know, cardio too, you know, like running a mile or something and seeing who's yeah. faster or who can, I don't know, their output be better. Um, with yeah. the keto. I mean, I think they, I mean, you know, they did a good job of testing those maxes just because that's not really like a bodybuilder goal is to have, you know, to lift as much as you can in one single rep, you know, ours is more like, you know, we're going like 10 to 12, um, time under tension as much as we can. Yes. But like getting that connection. So yeah, kind of a cool study there. Um, as far as like personal applications and how we're going to use this knowledge with our clients, I think it just reiterates the fact that our foundation is that we always want to have optimized protein intake, no matter what the client's energy source is. And again, I think having, so there's three bullets that I would like to say that kind of like stick out in my mind that I keep in mind when I'm picking energy sources is just for one thing, what can that client adhere to? Because if you binge on a high fat diet, which I have done versus binging on a high carb diet, which I have also done, the aftermath of binging on a high fat diet is so damaging. It took me so long to recover after that. It was the heaviest I've ever been because fats are so dense 
Yeah. I mean, you know, one gram is nine calories versus carbs. One gram is four calories. So for one thing, you can get a lot more volume and carbs. Fats are very dense. So if you're, if you want to be full and satisfied and have a lot of volume on your plate, you know, those are some things to think about. And then also I think that the look, so I used to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I used to work for a company that they put athletes on stage on these high fat diets. And the difference between that I've seen from just a practical standpoint and what these athletes look like versus the athletes that we're putting on stage with higher carb, lower fat, the the look is so much better and it's so much more rewarded than and what the judges want to see. You look like a healthy body, you look full, your muscle bellies, and you don't look stringy and tired. And so that's, I mean, those are the things that I had to say about it. I kind of, what are your thoughts? Exactly the same pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it can, we can have, obviously we always keep protein optimized. I would never, ever put a client in less protein than they need. Um, but having high protein, unless there's a medical fat, condition, but yes, that's about the only time, <laughs> um, but having high fat, low carb for a little bit, you know, to get them started with the body fat loss, that really helps, but definitely mm-hmm. leading into a show, we need carbs. We need to be able to have those full round muscles and it's just not worth it. And even peaking, um, for peak week, uh, sometimes we don't give enough carbs and then we still can look stringy and that's even with a higher carb diet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's timing wise. And we more so use it with the insulin reset. Like we've been talking a lot about recently, um, just because it does work so well. Um, but I think ketogenic diet is going to be more for endurance athletes, ones that are running marathons, Ironmans, all those kinds of things. Um, but just, it's not, it's not best for bodybuilding at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, they did have, you know, some muscle gain, they had one pound, um, in eight weeks, which for a natural bodybuilder, that's not bad. Um, I would say, you know, most, and it it depends on the body type, but like for a female is what I'm saying is what I've seen for like natural athletes is they're going to gain about once they're, they've have a history. So these particular individuals were over five years. So, after the first year, that's your newbie gains for a female, you know, like in our world for a bikini competitor, they're not going to gain more than eight to 12 pounds of muscle in that first year. And then each year it goes down, it goes down to like second year, eight to four pounds. And then from there, like what I've seen is about three pounds, maybe four, if they're lucky in a year. So, you know, in two months, it's not bad. Um, but it does show that definitely the high carb one is superior because, you know, they, they gained three pounds, didn't they? Yeah. 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 We have to keep that in consideration that they were doing um, the study on males rather than females Mm because females will be at least half of that. Um, Especially those type of males, like 220 pounds, like, yeah, yeah. you get a 100 pound bikini competitor. She's going to have a hard time. Yeah, maybe that much in a year as a natural athlete. Yeah. 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 So, 
Anyway. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I wanted to announce our free posing seminar that we have this month. This podcast will air on the first. We are going to be hosting a free posing seminar here in Overland Park on August 20th. It's a Sunday. It's from one to two 30 and we're going to be hosting it with coach or well, posing coach Kim Seeley, also IFBB and NPC judge. And we are going to be doing it at the sweat vault, which is brand new building. Um, very nice location. So it is free to the public. So you don't have to be a glam girl to come and we're going to have all of our coaches there and, um, you know, it'll be a good time to kind of get ready for some shows that you have in the fall and we will put it on, live on Instagram. So if you're not able to come to Overland Park, Kansas, then you can watch the playback or, um, tune in live. So if you'd like to leave us any sort of questions or topics that you want to hear, please feel free to DM us on Instagram at prep life podcast or at glam girl bikini. You could tag us on your story. If you feel like this episode helped you or made a nice impact on your life. That's all we want is just to help that one listener. So feel free to do so. Um, leave a rating and review. Those are always appreciated. Uh, if you'd like to apply for the team, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button. Thanks for listening, guys.